absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and I got my good buddy representing the BX himself, my man, Scott. Scott, what's the good word? Yo, what's happening? Uh, straight out of the Bronx, coming at you live here uh, from my, well, home office. Yeah, I guess uh, East Coast represent. So Scott and I had a pretty adventurous weekend in golf. Little, uh little impromptu vacation golf, if you will. Nothing was going on in the PGA Tour. So we decided to go to the oldest public course in the United States, Van Cortlandt Park in the Bronx. Um <laughs> We were asked when we were there where our home offices were by my, my man Andre sitting at the, the pro shop there. Um, he said, where, where are your offices located? And I said, well, it's in Pennsylvania, New York, Andre. It was, he, it was Andre and I, I'm guessing the cook in the grill room um, were, were really into our podcast. Uh, so much so, I, I got there a little bit after you and Dan. And, you know, I ran to the men's room. You guys ran outside to grab the bags and stuff. And by the time I walked through the pro shop after, you know, hitting the men's room, they were already listening to Leave the Pin In. So new podcast fans, wherever we can get them. Yeah, hopefully they were listening to Leave the Pin, Scott. Yes, Leave the Pin podcast. Right. But you just said Leave the Pin In. Did I? Yeah, we're trying to get the in out, dog. Mm. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, I think free merch to uh, Andre and, and Chief Keith, the chef there, uh, definitely swayed them. I think it's very easily swayed once they got some ball markers, pins and, and some other goodies. Um, so Van Cortland was pretty cool. Um, I'll get your thoughts in a, in a sec, Scott. Mm. But, you know, it was it was freezing. OK, so. Let's kind of uh, let people know what this is. This is a park in New York City, very reminiscent of, of Central Park, where you could literally turn down a side block and you're in the ghetto, and then all of a sudden it's this gorgeous uh, piece of property that's been preserved in the city. So mm-hmm. Dan from Train on Main and I pulled up first, and there's a guy sitting in a golf cart. And he's got a sign there that says, $10 to park for track meet. Well, hell, I wasn't going to the track meet, so I just kept going past he got out and said, where are, you, where are you guys going? I said, well, we're trying to find the pro shop. And he says, well, give me $3 and you park there. Now, at first, I thought it was just like a con man from the city. So I was like, yeah, okay, dude, whatever. And he goes, no, it's $3 to park. Um, okay, I guess it is. So I gave him the 3 bucks, headed to the pro shop. Uh, super, super cool pro shop, super cool locker room area. Um, you know, you could tell this place is, has been there for over a century. I mean, just some cool old wooden lockers, very reminiscent of like that 1920s, 1930s New York era. You can tell there's been a lot of stories that have, have gone through that place. You know, a lot of people that have passed through, a lot of tales that have been told. Um, we met Andre, the... I'm gonna say counter person, maybe uh, maybe assistant pro there. I'm not too sure. Very cool guy. So shout out to Andre and shout out to the the chef himself. I'll just call him Chef Keith Chief. 
And uh, so we waited for Scott to come, and then Scott was haggling with the uh, the the cart guy as well for parking. I actually wasn't wasn't haggling. See, I, I wasn't expecting to have to pay to park because normally when you go to a golf course, they don't charge you to park. Have you ever been charged anywhere? Honestly, I've never been charged to park. I can never think of a time. Where like, I've and been you and I have played park. some. You and I have played some pretty top tier golf courses that have like valet parking, and you know you tip the guy, mm-hmm. but no one charges you up front to park. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Shadow Creek picked me up in a limo. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit difference between a $500 round and having to stay at the, where is it, the Mirage? Uh, well, I say Mandalay Bay. You or can, Mandalay you know, Bay. Actually, I think that was MGM Grand. You have a, you had a choice of... Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so a little bit different between a $500 round and a $74 round that we got banged for, which I got to tell you, Scott, I enjoyed the round. Great company, great fun. We all played very well, considering when we mm-hmm. teed off, it was 26 degrees and didn't get above 34. So we all played well. Um, the course was in great condition for that time of year. But 74 bucks for early November, um, I mean, it just wasn't worth it, you know? I think I would have paid 30 to $40 and been completely content playing there for that much money. I would have gone up to to forty five if they put uh, T markers in the ground. You would have gone to forty five for T markers and not being banged for parking. Well, we, we yeah, essentially yeah. yeah. So essentially, I, I paid seventy seven dollars. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the the parking, like I said, I wasn't expecting to pay. I only had a twenty, and I handed it to him, and he's like, "You don't have anything smaller." And I was like, "No, nah, man, I'm a baller." <laughs> I, these are the smallest bills I ever carry. And he just looked at me. And then he proceeded to count out 17 singles. Yeah, I think he was just pissed that he had to count out 17 singles with, like, cold hands. Well, he did not attempt to take off his mittens, which was the result of it being which the end result. Which is probably why it took you five but days it, to get past him to it, park. Exactly. That's the, the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, so, um, you know, so we get in, and they had a frost delay in the morning, obviously, you know, 26 degrees, it's going to be a frost delay. Um, we have no idea where we're going. There's there's no cart help. A guy who was running the carts was sitting in his car, getting warm, and just kept yelling to us in this high-pitched voice. So we just ambled down this path around the pond, and you come to the first hole. It's very nondescript. There's no driving range. There's no starter. There's no one out there. Like Scott said, there's no T markers in the ground. I guess I guess we should be thankful that there were flags. Like like you know, I'm guess guess we should be thankful that they left the pin in uh, wow. on the greens. Well, if they took the pins out, we'd have to go. For sure. Um, it doesn't work. No, it's not on brand either. Nah. So we get to the first hole, and uh, and that was the one thing that I actually enjoyed was we just rolled up to a hole and we're like, all right, we're going to hit from this tee box this time. You know, there was none of that like, Oh, you have to play from the blues or these are the blacks or these are the whites or whatever the four tees. So that was neat. Um, but again, for, for, for November, you know, I think it was really in pretty good condition. It's just, I know it's a weekend. I know it's, you know, New York city and all that. And you're paying for the history of the course it's just I feel like it was easily 25 30 bucks overpriced. 
Uh, yeah, I don't even know that you're paying for the history of it. I think you are, you touched on it, it's New York City. You're paying for proximity to Manhattan. Right. And, In, and me personally, I don't want to go anywhere near that. You know, like, like for me, I'm like, why, why do I have to pay more to, to be around things I don't like? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so it's a subway ride from Manhattan. Right. There are people who are golfers in Manhattan who don't have cars, and that's one of the few places that they can get to easily. So that's absolutely going to be, you know, a little bit more than it should be. Yeah, it's a different world than what you and I are are used to playing. You know, and what's that? The one train that comes right to like the other side of the pond there or that lake? I, I think it's the one train. Yeah. And we saw, you know, we saw people, you know, what was real weird to me, Scott, and I mentioned to this to you (laughs) numerous times, the randoms, the randoms just walking around the park, quote unquote, the golf course. Yeah, that you don't get anywhere else, really, unless it's a public park in a city, because I played golf. I can't remember the name of the course, but I played golf at a, a course in Chicago. I went there. Um, my wife, girlfriend at the time, had a conference. Uh, I got there probably like four hours before she was done with the conference. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Huh, public golf course, walking distance, I'm in. And I walked to the golf course, and there were people jogging around what was essentially the perimeter of the golf course on, it's a, on a, a jogging unnerving. track. You know, it, it is. It's a little unnerving when you're hitting balls and these people are kind of like in your – they pay you no mind. I mean uh, not, oh, no. not one person glanced up if a ball went past them. They, I mean it, it's part of their daily livelihood. They just go about their business and you are like seeing a squirrel to them. You know, you're, you're a dime a dozen. But it is a little bit unnerving when you're hitting balls and you're like, um, okay, this guy is literally – in my line of sight where I'm going to hit. Should I hit? Should I not? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's different. And then my favorite, I'm going to ask you what your favorite part is, but my favorite part of the whole entire <laughs> round was, I believe, hole eight. Now, hole eight runs across or runs parallel, I should say, to part of their cross-country course. Now, Van Cortland Park, for people that don't know, is nationally renowned for their cross-country paths they hold uh top level amateur championships nike a6 hold championships their adidas holds championships they've hold they've held the national championships the collegiate division one national championships there manhattan college does uh meets there and stuff and so when we arrived the track meet like i mentioned before that was ten dollars to park was i'm assuming we can only surmise that it was the psal the the uh public school um athletic league is that it scott PSA, yeah, the Public School Athletic League. That's right, the, which is the, the New, New York, York City, City schools. Yeah. Because, you know, within New York, there's there's the public schools, there's your Catholic schools, and there's your, you know, your city schools, your inner city schools, if you will, within the boroughs. So they seem to be having their cross-country championships, uh, whether it was district, city championships, or whatnot. And we just noticed an enormously large dichotomy between, like, the haves and have-nots of cross-country. In the beginning, it was all these, you know, tall, slender kids running super fast through the woods. And then came some of the kids that are like decent athletes, 
uh, that don't do another fall sport. So they ran cross country. Then two, four, five minutes later are maybe some of your bigger kids that are just doing it to get in shape. And then came the freaks. Mm-hmm. We we had people running in winter coats. We had uh, people running with their iPhones blasting music and dancing through mm-hmm. the course. We had high school kids smoking weed as they were going through the course. That was the, uh, like I, as I joked, the Bob Marley uh, school <laughs> of music. Um, you know, then, they, then, they were jamming through the, the track. Yeah, man. And then right when we were about to hit our second shots, our approach shots into this green, there was like this group of 15 to 20 little kids from maybe an elementary school just cheering people on, but literally screaming at the top of their lungs. Now, all this is occurring as we are trying to play the eighth hole. I can't feel my fingers at this point. I can barely feel my ears. Scott has no gloves. I'm trying to play in winter gloves, like golf winter gloves. It was just, it it turned into a bit of a cluster. And then we make the turn and go to hole nine and it goes completely silent. I mean, it was just, it was one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had on a golf course. It did go completely silent, but I think maybe it was a hole or two later. All of a sudden we just heard like a roar. From tiger roar. It was like a tiger roar, but I think it was really more a, a track team roar. Yeah, it was. Uh, so it was. I mean, you know, like people say, well, you'll see anything in the city, and uh, and that, you know, it, that's the gods honest. That's the truth. Yeah, um, so- I, I just I just pulled up the the map of the park. That it that track literally like runs across like a good chunk of the golf course. Yeah, and, and you know the other thing is too, like you drive the golf carts over some of the highway overpasses you're on these small little bridges that are enclosed in chain link fence um you know it it's for me it's a one and done experience i have i have no need to go back uh i have no need to go back in the nice weather or anything and i especially have no need to go back because everything i read online was be prepared for a five five and a half six hour round I mean, granted, like I said, the high was 34. They didn't have many people tee off that day. Daylight savings times end, so you know it's dark at five o'clock now. But we played in under three and a half hours for three of us. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, first of all, that's three players who play pretty quick to begin with. Right, um, and play and play pretty well. Yeah, we didn't think we lost a ball. I mean, maybe we lost one or two in the leaves, but it's not like we lost some OB. Yeah, we, yeah, we have the one that that. Dan lost in the leaves, and then it turns out we were looking like 20 yards short of where it was. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we found that one. Um, and uh, we didn't wait on any tees, I don't think. No, we didn't. Maybe, we maybe the 18th we waited on. That was maybe the only one. Because we were waiting on those guys who had de- decided after they were done with the hole to go back like 20 yards and hit the bathroom. Yes, yes. And by bathroom, I mean weeds. Yeah. Um. Well, someone's going to eradicate them. Mm. But yeah, so I don't want to give anyone the impression that you're going to get around uh, Van Cortlandt Park very quickly if you play in the city. You know, if, you, if you're going around and trying to play historical courses, that's one that should be on your map or your itinerary. So please don't think that you're going to play in under four hours because any other given weekend with good weather, it's a typical New York round where you're going to be paired up with people. 
and it's going to take you five and a half, maybe six hours, you know? So just going with that mindset. And then I think you're okay. Uh, as far as the routing goes, you know, Scott, I actually, I actually enjoyed it. I, I was pleasantly surprised the first few holes. I was like, eh, okay, whatever. But then we got to like that part three, whether, whatever it was like three, four, five, six, seven, where you uh-huh. loop around to that pond and the whole, you know, the whole front part of the course just opens up to you. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And you know, you think of the city as a relatively flat piece of, you know, land, like you think of kind of most cities, you know, mm-hmm. uh, relatively flat. And there was a lot of undulation in the fairways. There was a lot of movement from the tee boxes to the fairways and approach shots into the greens. But I thought one of the coolest things was, again, and you and I really like this about courses, that real subtle manipulation in the greens where you look at it and you go, wow, I, this doesn't look like it moves much. But then you stand up above the putt and you say, oh, okay, I see now. Uh, we had that one part three was a nice Biarritz with a little swale in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had all those putts and they just kind of like fell off the edge of the earth there. So, you know, as far as playability, awesome. It's not long. Uh, those courses back in 1895 or 94, whenever, or 1885, when it was built, I mean, you're playing with hickory woods, right? you know, hickory clubs. So it's not going to be long, but, uh, it's cool because we, we said on a few holes, like, Oh, I see why that bunker's there. Cause it was like 180 yards out and we're going, well, we're just going to fly it. But you understand. Cause back in the day, that bunker was completely in play and people would aim for it and not be able to even hit in it. Right. And also, it was it was I think a good, I think it was a good length for a mid-November round where it oh, is that perf- cold. Perfect. You know, especially because because we moved tee boxes all over. I mean, we played from the tips, we played from, you know, the middle. I mean, some tee boxes we had, you know, some of those tee boxes are forty yards wide, but the sun's only shining on ten feet of it, and everything else is frost covered. You know. Right. Right. Um. So I, you know, I thought rather than go out there and let the course beat you up and be freezing cold uh i thought we we chose well uh for where we were teeing off um and as far as you know the the round went i thought it was a really enjoyable round i that course is i i remember playing it but i rem- don't remember it having as much variety as i do this time Probably because the first time I played it, it was like a six-hour round, and by the end of it, I just wanted to forget it. Yeah, it's so it's so tough when you're waiting on every tee box and you get distracted. It really does take you out of a round. I mean, we were engaged in the round the whole entire time. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And that's a nice thing. Yeah, and, and it, it was a pretty – for mid-November, we played really well. It was really competitive. I think – the we were within 10 strokes i mean what did you shoot 82 79 79 okay we were eight, yeah we were 10 yeah, stro- so I we shot were within 10 strokes yeah so i shot 89 so yeah perfect and you know we weren't going to gamble or anything at that time of the year because uh, you know i mean i couldn't even i mean i i chunked literally seven shots within 50 yards i just couldn't feel my hands i mean it's just there's there's no feel whatsoever in the northeast this time of year does not exist. Yeah, my my first chip shot I think went a grand total of three feet. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then I was just like, oh yeah, uh, I have to, 
mash it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that was Van Corlin. And then we hung out in the in the locker room area a little bit and kind of warmed up, de- you know, thawed out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott headed home, and then uh, Dan from Train on Main and I went to City Field to play uh, Stadium Links at City Field, which Scott played the next night there with his buddy Mike. And so Dan and I, our plan was this. Um, we didn't want to hang around Van Cortland anymore. We had a, about two and a half hours till the tea time. And we said, look, it's probably like any other major North American sports stadium, right, of the big four. There's got to be restaurants by it. There's got to be a sports bar or something. We'll catch, you know, some of the Alabama LSU games, some other games going on. Were we wrong? City Field is surrounded by the worst area I think I've ever seen in Queens. It is chop shops. It is complete rundown ghettos. It Mm. is dilapidated buildings and rubble. There is nothing in the area. So there is, but I think there's only stuff when the Mets Mets are there. Well, that's it. Inside the stadium, <clears throat> there are things. Mm-hmm. Nothing was open. Um, nothing was open around. We did the whole loop around the stadium. I mean, it, it. I don't know if they have plans to build that up, but boy, is it unlike any other stadium that I ever went to. So I already had a bad taste in my mouth, um, but we got there. It was pretty cool inside. We register. We tell the lady, look, we're like two hours early. We had a 6.38 tea time. Um, it's about 4.30, 4.45 at this point. And we said, you know, honestly, we were playing golf at Van Cortland Park, and we flew through the round. We thought it was going to take longer. She says, let me see what we can do. We waited about half an hour, and they got us right in. Um, how was your experience checking in there, Scott? So uh, making up for you being two hours early – uh, my man Mike and I were about a half hour late. Uh, now, Mike lives in Manhattan. So uh, I went down about 1 o'clock, watched the Jets-Giants game uh, with him Which and his our wife. Jets won, Scotto. We picked up a W. Uh, you know what? I, I'm not even going to gloat. <laughs> it's just if they win, it's, you know, it it's just – it is what it is. Yeah, but so you anyway, get it while the getting is good, and the getting is never good, so you got to get it, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we watched the Jet Giant game for a little bit. Um, uh, his wife suggested a, a restaurant in the area, which conveniently happened to be one that, that Dan had talked about going to okay, uh, yep. while yep. we were planning this whole thing. Um, so we had to, we went over there, had some food. Had some drinks at about 10 to 6 for a 6.30 tea time. Mike goes, well, it usually takes me like 15 minutes to get to City Field. He's a big Met fan. He goes there all the time. He's like, let's hop in the car and go. We'll get there a little bit early hang out. That didn't really work out the way uh, Let, he I, planned. I don't, I, you know, for it, it's funny because I, I'm going to get – this is all going to make sense in a second. Go ahead. I went on Anchor today, and I actually posted on Instagram, you know, thank you to all our international listeners. Uh-huh. It's amazing how many countries we're in. I really was blown yes. away. I haven't looked in a while. Um, I know we've hit all 50 states. Um, 
quite honestly, the listens are through the roof over the last two, three months. I want to thank all the guests that have been on the show, you, uh, everyone that's done the work and, and, and has helped us grow. So I went and checked our international ones. And I'm going, oh, my God, it's like 17, 18 different countries that we're in. And um, I don't think people outside of the Northeast and, and specifically people maybe outside of New York and L.A., maybe Atlanta, maybe Philly. Mm. Atlanta, definitely. Definitely D.C. too, okay? I Mm -hmm. don't think people understand how bad inner city traffic is. And I don't mean inner city like ghetto inner city. I mean like literally in the middle of the city. Scott, I want you to tell people how many miles you were away from City Field where the Mets play. I'm just going to read you the text that I sent you. (laughs) Hold on, where is it here? Okay. Because it's just mind blowing when you tell people, "Oh, it took me X amount to go four miles." Uh, like, yes. Where I live and where you live, if I needed to go seven miles, it would take me seven eight minutes. Go All ahead right. and read read our text, Scott. So Sunday at six twenty two, I sent you. Oh, hold so, on. What, wait, what time was your tea time? Six twenty eight. And I quote, so we're legit stuck in Manhattan. Left Mike's at 5.50 to go seven miles. Seven miles. It's already still been at, half an hour. We still at that point had six miles to go. <laughs> um, so I don't really know what happened, but when we – minutes before we decided to go through the Midtown Tunnel – uh, they must have closed all lanes but one, and it then took a, a a significant amount of time to get in. There are just there's too many people out there. I'm sorry. Completely too, too many. many. Completely too many. Um. So that's it. Then so when we got there, uh, the they were very cool about it, and they basically told us it's not a big deal. Nobody's here tonight. Uh, and then for our troubles, they gave us an additional nine balls to hit. I don't know if I told you that. So you got uh, twenty-seven. So we got twenty-seven. Okay. Uh, but we had a we had to wait a little bit, mostly because nobody told us after we checked in outside at the the desk right when you walked in, we had to check in at the desk by the elevator. So we were we were waiting because we were late, and we figured they'd call us when they were ready for us. Uh, whilst we were waiting, I decided to attempt the putting contest because I was told that the third place score of the day was 250 points. Uh, that score, but from what I understand, did hold up. Uh, I managed to score 200 points, which the person running it told me was the fourth highest score of the day. Uh, I kind of feel like Ricky Fowler in the President's Cup, but we'll get to that. <laughs> hey, did you did you wait at the end to congratulate all the winners? You know what? I probably should have, but they were all gone by that point. Or maybe they weren't. I don't know. Uh, so then we went over to the elevator and just like, did we need to check in here too? And the woman's like, yeah, who are you? And so uh, Scott and Mike. And she said, oh, you guys have been ready whenever you got here for like 25 minutes. I was like, oh, oh, okay. So, yeah, so they give you the scorecard. They give you the pencils. You go up, you get the balls. You get 18 balls. Scott and Mike got 27. Yeah. Well, and the, the people who were giving out the balls were, like, hiding in a corner, too, 
we walked a good 10 feet past them before they yelled at us and said, hey, <laughs> you guys want these balls? Uh, let, let me just say that it is a cool concept. I am very glad we've done it. Notice how I use the past tense, done, okay? Because I would not do it again. This, again, was expensive city prices. Most stadiums are in cities. It was, what, 75 bucks, Scott, or 70 bucks, something? Um, I paid a little bit more. What was it? Uh, Eight? It was like 82, I think. 82, okay, yeah, I knew it was yeah. something like that. Um, they also had a VIP package you could do, with, which included the chipping contest and the putting contest, and then a snack and a drink. Uh, Dan and I got there. We're hungry because there's nothing but chop shops around, and you can't eat a muffler, you know, or or somebody's Cadillac. So I got a pretzel, which was five dollars. I thought, well, that wasn't bad. And then I got a soda, which was six dollars and fifty cents for sixteen ounces of not of diet non sugary goodness. So you go up, you get your balls. They tell you, look, it's eighteen balls. We don't care how you do it. You can hit them all in the first hole. It doesn't matter. So all you're doing is hitting down to targets, and mm -hmm. there's four platforms. Um, you know, it's a normal mat. They're elevated four platforms. Most of them are built into the seats uh, in different areas. And you take the elevator. You travel all around the concourse. You travel to uh, the VIP spot. You travel up to the upper deck. You travel to the mezzanine level, and you're kind of everywhere. So it gives you a cool stadium tour. Um, yeah, again, it was a neat experience. So what Dan and I decided to do, and I'm going to ask you how you guys ended up playing it. We decided to just go closest to the pin, two balls each. We played for a dollar hole. Hmm. Long story short, it ended up me owing Dan a dollar at the end. We had a few balls left over at the end. Um, we tried to hit onto the pitcher's mound to first base, et cetera, et cetera. Here are some... Uh, key points that I took away from it, Scott, and I'm going to get your key points in a second. There were a few where the angles were so difficult, I thought I was going to hit the railing on the side. I had to stand so close to the edge, I felt that if I followed through, mm -hmm. I may fall 40 feet down to the lower tier. The amount of drunk people was outstanding. Dan and I actually skipped holes seven and eight. We went to them, but there were these enormous groups of like 20 people all taking over and, you know, trying to hit three irons into the uh, projection screen, into the scoreboard, out of the stadium. I can only imagine City Field has some type of retainer with this company for damages because there was damage. Oh. We saw four drunks climb into the press box behind the ninth hole. Open the window, Scott. Jimmy the window and get into the press box. We saw people hit the scoreboard. Um, we saw people hitting towards other people hitting balls. Hmm. Saying, hey, I bet you can hit those guys on hole number five. And I'm like, this this is it's a cluster like it's nuts um right. and then my last takeaway there were these two poor souls they must have pulled them off the street they gave them motorcycle helmets heavy coats and they were down on the stadium floor picking up 
balls, literally using like a push device to push balls together. No one was in a cart, Scott, by hand as people are hitting balls from 100 feet above them. They were walking around and hand collecting balls. What? <laughs> so what do you that, get paid for that? That by by the way was the most insane part of it. It was, was no, I could not keep my eyes off those people. So I so going off to what you said about the angles. Some of the angles were crazy ridiculous. Uh, Mike's left-handed. So uh and Let's just put it this way. He does not play a draw. <laughs> that the, There were legitimately, I would say, three of the eight holes that we played that he did not have a natural angle to. Right. Like, he had to almost stand, like, at a 90-degree... I, I can't even describe Yeah, some I of completely it. understand, Scott, because the first hole was to that blue flag on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. Dan and I were the far-left tee box. Now, you know I play that little bit of a, you know, a pull draw, and I've got to aim right. I was literally aimed at the partition that separated. The guy next to me said, um, you're not going to hit into this, are you? I'm like, no, dude, I'm a professional. I know where my ball's going. Then the people next to him were like, hell yeah, MFR, let's hit this one out of the stadium. Proceeds to swing as hard as he can. This ball goes out 20 yards and just goes dead right into the scoreboard. I can't even imagine the monetary amount of damage these people caused over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday there. Yeah. Uh, I also, I decided to not bring my own clubs because I wanted to steer into the craziness of it. Uh, So I used the clubs that they provided, which... Fairly decent. They actually had uh, some Nike VRs, some Callaway. I saw those. Um, I also thought their club selection was go very good as far as the distances. They gave you basically three clubs. If it was 113 yards, mm-hmm. they gave you know a sand wedge, a pitching wedge, and an eight, and nine iron, and an eight iron for people. Right. So righty and lefty. Exactly. So because it's. Uh, not that I have a fear of heights, but because it's so high up and it is kind of disorienting to be that high up on a, a, a rickety platform, uh, I <laughs> ended up just clubbing up as much as I could yes. and hitting like half half shots at the holes. There there was movement in those platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, when the wind picked up on our quote-unquote back nine of the nine, like holes five, six, seven – uh, when you start to move up to like the Porsche level up there, mm-hmm. uh, the wind was blowing and they were moving. There, there's yes. no way around it. Um, I also saw people climbing down steps, climbing down seats to get balls that had been hit down there so they could hit more balls. Now, mind you, for people that go to an event like this, I think probably during the day is better. I think the rowdies come out at night. Would you agree? I, I think so. It wasn't busy when we were there, probably for a number of reasons. It was the last day, later on a Sunday. A Sunday there's sure. football. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the, the rowdies are at – there's a, a, a Jets-Giants game, so a lot of the rowdies were probably there. Very true. Um, or they had drunk themselves into a stupor uh, before, yeah. before the time we got there. Um, but – 
yeah, I I could definitely see that getting a little crazy. It uh, you know, it, it, it's not like security was uh, present, in, engaged at all no. in what was going on. Here is your typical security guy. It was a dude off the street who may be a college kid, might be somebody in between jobs, something like that. Probably makes eight dollars an hour. Sat there, and that was it. One of the one or two people directed us how to play the hole and things like that. Remember the one hole you had to, you had to hit over the safety netting? Yes. Okay, a guy there was super nice, and he was like, "Well, the trick on this hole is not only do you have to get it high enough, but it's got to go, you know, high and far enough to get over the safety netting and then land on that hole." I actually, because that hole, it's it's funny you mentioned that because I was taking this like I'm just gonna club up and hit half and take half mm-hmm. swings at everything. I I stood over that ball and thought to myself, I wonder if that safety netting's there or if they took it down for this. And then I looked and I was like, I think it's still there. And then I I ended up playing a full wedge at it instead of. Oh, it's still there for sure. Yeah. Um. So that was cool. It's probably my favorite hole. Um. But these people just sat there. I mean, and I saw so much debauchery and so much dangerous behavior. Um. It blew my mind that they didn't do anything. I mean, and obviously they have no vested interest. They don't care. They're making eight yeah. bucks an hour. What are they going to do? Start a fight with with you know these drunk individuals? Uh, but it, it it was just nuts. And literally, we saw guys Jimmy open the press box and get inside, and they were literally running amok inside the press box. It was just it was it it was different, man. It was different. But it's done. Uh, it's over with. I do think. I do think it was overpriced. I would even go as far to say that it was a ripoff. A lot of people on Instagram messaged me when we put the stories up and I put the post up, and they said, dude, how sick was it? How awesome was it? And I was like, yo, guys, I hate to burst your bubble, but there's no way in the world I would do it again. No way. Because I could take that 80 bucks and play two good courses. You know? Oh, absolutely. I could go around and play Van Cortland again, and that's overpriced. Yep. And still save money even with the parking. Yeah. The uh, So, first of all, the only reason I was doing this is because you were. Uh, I, I knew it was going to be there, and I kind of just ignored it until you said, hey, you want to do that? Well, I uh, ignored it until Dan said, hey, I made us a tea time right. for this on the same day we play Van Cortland. And then he also gave me the wrong dates, uh, which to play. That's why Scott and I and Mike and Dan did not play together. And then – Dan has also been in some um, hot water when it comes to driving, so I had to drive uh, as well. And I had just driven to Rhode Island and back over the course of about 36 hours, which I'll get to in a second. Right, right, right. All right, you want to put City Field to bed because it is what it is. It is what it is. It's done and over, right? It was cool to say that I did it. Yes, it it made for some cool pictures, some cool video. You know what pissed me off too, Scott? Go ahead. They had these awesome stadium link shirts, this super nice soft brush cotton. And I'm like, oh, cool. It's going to have like City Field on the back. It's going to say like I played nine at City Field or something like that. No. Plain old gray shirt that said stadium links on it. That's it. 25 hmm. bucks. Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> Not for me. Dan got one. If it had City Field and it had the date on it and maybe it had 
a replica of the inside of the stadium or something like that. That was a catchy title. That would be kind of cool. Something catchy like, you know, I I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But, you know, if there was something cool like that, maybe so. But, all right, that's it. Um, City Field is done. I'm never going back there. I, I, you know what? I wouldn't even go back there if my Cardinals play there. That's how much I disliked it. Uh, I mean, I'll I go can't, see them play I can't say the same, but I'm usually good for a game or two there a year. Yeah. I'm out. I'm all out. It's not Shea. It's not Shea. No, it's definitely not Shea. All right. So I mentioned um, that before I had to do a little bit of driving. So my weekend actually started that Thursday where I drove out to Rhode Island, Cranston, Rhode Island, from Pennsylvania, and met up with John from Spargo Golf. John was gracious enough to spend over five hours with me. And him and and his team there hooked me up with beyond the most comprehensive fitting that I could have ever imagined. Long story short, and I'll mention on the pod when the clubs actually come in, but I went from playing eight different shaft flexes as he measured them out in my clubs now to three. A driver a three wood, and then my hybrids, irons, and wedges all had the same shaft flex, shaft profile in it. So it's amazing to me how, again, there is no industry standard for shaft flex. Every company's different. But even the deviations within clubs, within the same set, mm. from the same company, is mind-blowing. So I, I went from a Callum, Callaway Razorfit driver to a Titleist TS one driver, uh, hazardous smoke, black shaft. Went from an R9, and that's an old school one for you people, an R9 three-wood to a Titleist TS2 three-wood. Hybrids, wedges, irons, all Mizuno, high-fly um, hybrids, and hot metal pro irons and wedges. Kept the same Odyssey 7S O-Works black putter. Cut down, it was an inch and a half too long it had too little loft it was not flat enough for me and got a pretty sick kangaroo skin grip on it so i'm psyched scott about a week and a half till they come in i can't wait it was literally like christmas um i spent three hours hitting full shots and then two hours doing some putting with them and hit everything that you can imagine under the sun and I was definitely a little bleary-eyed, a little tired for playing our round at, um, at Van Cortland the, day, the next day. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, a pretty sick experience. It was very cool. We're going to have John on the podcast again. And we'll talk all about that fit and get into more depth in, in probably a week or two once the clubs come in. Those hybrids are like driving irons, right? They're not like traditional hybrids. So, yes and no. Gotcha. If you think about the RBZ hybrids that I had, those uh-huh. are basically like small woods. You'd mm-hmm. agree, right? Okay. Right. Um, if you think about your hybrids, your hybrids are more of the traditional shaped hybrid. Agree? Well, I have one traditional shaped hybrid, and then my I have a five that's a, a driving iron, essentially. Okay. So it's more like your traditional shaped ones. Um, gotcha. They're 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 really kind of like in between. If you look at the face profile, mm. you would say okay, iron. If you looked at it from the bottom, you would say the sole of it. You would say oh, gotcha. okay, hybrid. 
And then they progressively, gradually go down through the set all the way till um, your pitching wedge. And then my my gap, my sand, my lob wedge is all the the hot metal pro. I did I did stamping on them. I got custom ferrules, you know, custom grips, everything, man. I mean, the whole we're talking the whole nine yards. You know what I mean? I'm gonna have to uh, have a little what's in the bag. Uh, in yeah, the we'll, do we'll do a little. We'll do a little. We'll do a little video. Yeah, we'll do a what's in the bag winter edition uh, for sure. Scott, I was looking at Instagram before you and I talked, and Pat Perez, and we know we know this week everyone's in Mayakoba, right, for the, the Kucher Caddy Classic, right? Kucher Caddy Classic. <laughs> yep. And Pat Perez, who is probably one of the most, you know, um, I don't give a bleep guys on tour, goes out and plays with L2 Can, right? Uh it's first off, it's hilarious, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, his handle is like David Ortiz or whatever, which is his name. But Pat Perez uses a hashtag L2Can, right? And people are like, dude, you might want to check that hashtag. It turns out it's like this private uh, VIP strip club escort service. Like, if you look at it on Instagram, it's all these like high priced hookers and stuff. Uh, well, I almost wonder if you knew that. Yeah, he probably did. So here, uh, you know, it's funny you mention that because Pat Perez hosts uh, a PGA Tour radio show with Michael Collins, who used to be a caddy. Right. So I almost wonder if that was uh, that was prearranged. Well, I yeah, I I wouldn't doubt. It. Michael Collins is a pretty cool dude, and he knows a lot of people in the game. Oh, definitely, so, definitely. Yeah, uh, I I would not doubt it. But Pat Perez is just like you know, like I I guarantee he was like, yo, I'm 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 gonna search out L2 Can. Like we're gonna play with him. That's gonna be my caddy, my dude. Um, Kucher this whole week has been on the uh, the remorseful trail. I I don't want my kids thinking bad about me. It was just a real unfortunate incident. Okay, it's whatever, dude. You're cheap. Like, it's cool. I mean, you know, you don't have to apologize to anybody. It is what it is. It's just like, just do the right thing. Be a good person, right? But he, So Cooch is someone I would not want to play with, right? Pat Perez is someone I would want to play with, which got me thinking. What pros on tour would you not only want to play with, but who do you think you'd have the most fun playing with? Right, because everyone would say, "Oh, I want to play with Tiger." Okay, mm-hmm. cool, but guess what? Tiger can't really hold a conversation outside of golf. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's certain topics he can probably talk about with you, but he's not going to, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, let me think. Hmm. Who would be fun to play with? Hmm. I. Who's yours? I'm okay, curious. so so I got two that came to my head right off the bat. Uh, my first guy is Kevin Na. Hmm. I think okay. I think his mannerisms. First off, I think he's I think he's a good dude, right? I think he's just a cool, down to earth, good dude. He's fought off some of those demons with the slow play and all that type of stuff. Having those those kind of triggers he couldn't get past. Um, he likes to talk to himself. I like guys like that. They're kind of like half crazy. You know what I mean? Uh, a yeah. good golfer. I'd like to see him walking putts and stuff. But he just seems like a nice, down to earth dude. Um. A pretty self-deprecating humor. I like that. My other guy would be uh, the thin man himself, Chesson Hadley, Bo Jangles' own. Him and I could talk Bo Jangles all day long. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna. So the the first person who comes to mind, and, and this might 
uh, this might be a little surprise to you. I kind of would not mind playing 18 holes with Bubba Watson. I can see that. He'd be awesome to play with, dude. In in a, a just a hanging out like this round doesn't mean anything kind of way. Right. I can see you two not wearing shoes, walking around with like three clubs and a putter. Oh, oh I'm wearing shoes. <laughs> Wait, um, you're not gonna wear overalls and try to join the golf boys? Definitely not. Okay, fair enough. Do you remember that uh, when Bubba switched over from Travis Matthew to Oakley? Yes. They ran an ad with him like hanging his golf shirts on a clothesline yes. and he had no yes. shirt on. And I yes. was like, who thought this was a good idea? Yes. But especially like the videos that he makes with Ted Scott, I just feel like he's just a funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's definitely a personality without a doubt. And then the other guy I'd be uh, interested in maybe playing around with. Um, hmm. I mean, I kind of like Kevin Kisner for the same reason. Just a, a it's a different kind of humor. Yeah. It's kind of got that a little bit of that backwoods country boy humor. Yep. I uh I I also would like to play with Kiradesh. Oh, that that would be kind of <laughs> because the the 3 4 minutes that I spoke to him uh at the Wyndham, I mean like I couldn't take the smile off my face. He's just beyond hilarious mm-hmm. i think part of it is his grasp of english where he's just like so short and to the point with things um but we could talk sneakers cars you know anything like that um i, I he's he's uh, <laughs> he's a different individual man yeah i, I the other person i've had kind of interesting interaction with on a, a couple of occasions uh, as Aaron Badley, not in a he's a, a cool guy to hang out with, but he's a very very nice guy. Uh, I think it was the Barclays in like 2009 or something like. No, it couldn't have been 2009. Whatever it was, it was one of the years it was at Beth Page. Right. Um, I just I literally just spotted him kind of like standing there on that that back patio, and I was like, oh hey Aaron, good round. And he's like, oh cool, you know how's it going? And then, you know, we just started talking or whatever and people were coming over and getting things signed. He talked to me for like 20 minutes and then he was just like, did you need anything signed? And I was like, honestly, no, like it was cool talking to you. I'm like, you know, sign my ticket. And he did. And that's it. And that's it. That's kind of like our meeting with, uh, with Martin Keimer. Yep. Right. Just yep. cool I'd- dude. It was, it was like, Hey, these guys, don't want anything from me so right off the bat i'm i'm cool with that because yeah look these pros day in and day out are getting approached for something yeah all all we wanted was a picture he didn't care what augusta's rules were right he's like i'm martin keimer i used to be the number one player in the world yeah or he might have even been number one Uh, he was number one at that time yeah he was so it's not like we're gonna kick him out yeah so snapped a picture with us. I, th- I think I think one of the things is too, uh, Zana Shoffley had mentioned this at one point in time, that it's so cool to a young tour pro for somebody to actually know who they are and approach mm-hmm. them by name. Because right. what you see at these tournaments is you see these kids, sometimes for themselves or sometimes for their parents, or worst of all, sometimes for a dealer that's out there trying to sell autographs, 
they're just going out and say, hey, can you sign this? Can you sign this? Because they, they look like offers. Um, now, we haven't released it yet, but our next episode is with Byron Meth, right? Byron Meth, very popular corn ferry tour guy. And he said, you know, at one point, so these kids come up to me and they're just like, hey, sign this. And he's like, dude, like, you know, I'm gonna because it's like part of my job and mm-hmm. I don't want to look bad. But you have no idea who I even am. You right. no clue, you know, and like same thing. I'll see guys out there that I don't recognize their face right off the bat. I'm like, oh, who the hell is this dude? I mean, look, we, we look at opposite field events and can't name 20 or 30 guys. And we're so deeply involved in this business. Um, but, you know, it's it's so weird when these random people just come up and like, oh, you got a sponsor on your shirt. Sign my ball. Sign my hat. The uh, the travelers this summer. I wonder was it this summer because I didn't go. Two summers ago, there was um, uh, someone standing there with a binder full of like eight by ten glossies of golfers. Yep, yep. I've seen. Yep, we see those and, guys everywhere. And he had a kid with him who he was handing the things off to at the driving range. And you know the kids will they'll go to like the kids zone and they'll stand there with a picture. And so I I don't know who I don't remember who the golfer was or who the person thought it was. But he handed the kid a picture and said, the guy in the black hat. And the kid, like, ran over with the picture, handed it to the guy, sir, could you sign this? And the guy looked at it, and he's like, that's not me. Yeah. And handed it back to the kid, and then just kept walking. I would have signed it, dude. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure, okay, sure, I'll sign it, of course. Whatever, dude. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gives him a picture of Bubba, and it's like uh, Adam Scott or something, you know? Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's the thing. And, and these people, they do these things, and the golfers who are just trying to do the right thing, you know, sometimes it, it gets a little annoying, and you don't want to deal with it, and you just keep walking. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, again, it's part of the job, and they have to do it otherwise. Like, oh, that dude's a jerk, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, no one, no one ever says, you know, Phil was out for 40 minutes after his round signing. You always hear the one guy who's like, oh, I, I waited around for 40 minutes and Phil didn't even sign my, my hat. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, the waited weird, there you know, for 40 minutes. Was he signing for 40 minutes? Yeah, the weirdest thing is like the, the guy's our age and even older that mm-hmm. are looking to get autographs and stuff. Um, when Dan and I were at the Wyndham, there was a guy carrying around a flag. And he had like five markers in his, you know, collar of mm-hmm. his shirt. And he had some weird system going on where certain guys were certain colors. And he went up to Charles Howell III. And he was like, hey, can I get an autograph? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure, man. What, you know, come on over. And it's like, you know, kind of weird when you get like a 50-year-old dude asking you. And then – he goes to get a marker because Howell had one that he's marking his balls with. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I need you to sign this in blue. And Chucky was like, uh, okay, <laughs> whatever, man. <laughs> you know, and signed right. it and it was off he goes. It's just, uh, it's odd. People are odd, man. People are strange. Right. Yeah. And this guy has some kind of like system probably yeah. where he has, you know, half, half the field signs in blue, half the field signs in red or. Maybe he breaks it down by country, I, you know. Yeah, or someone commissioned him to get, you know, hey, I don't have a, a an Ernie L signature in black. 
You know, yeah, I mean, or, or whatever. I, I some just, level of OCD where he needs it broken yeah. down in a certain way. Yeah, but uh, you know, again, people are weird, and there's way too many of them out there. Hey, but speaking of our interviews, we just had Jane Park on the pod for our 50th episode. We're recording 51 right now for you people. Um, so go and check that out. Download that. Next episode coming out after that will be Byron Meth of Corn Ferry Tour. He's actually exempt into final stage of Q School, so he has status on the Corn Ferry Tour next year, and he's going to be playing for kind of a 100% fully exempt status. That's in early December down at Orange County National Crooked Cat and um, Panther Lake golf courses there. So check out that interview because he gives a ton of inside information, which is awesome. Um, so we got my COVID this week, Scott, and that's really kind of it going on in the world of golf now. You know, We're slowing down a little bit before the President's Cup picks up. You want to do President's Cup picks next week and kind of talk about all those in the team? Yeah, we'll do like a whole President's Cup thing. Cool. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Uh, what else we got, buddy? Um, I think that's it. All right. So... Yeah, I think that that sounds good. Sounds pretty good to me. All right, people, so either get busy golfing or get busy dying. All right, everyone.